You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 171, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this edition of the podcast, I chatted with indie folk artist Jack Symes. Symes just released his second full length, Tompkins Park, in late March, and the deeply personal record expounds on his move to New York after spending most of his life on the West Coast. His story is an intriguing one, as while playing a series of gigs here in the city a couple of years ago, he met and fell in love with his partner and thus made the cross-country move last year. Many of the songs on the album detail his challenging early experiences in the city, but he also displays his knack for telling other kinds of stories at various points. He dissects the nuance of cult figures on the story of Jim Jones, the fakeness that's sometimes involved in party going on What a Wonderful Party, and he also reflects on a glorious weekend away on Illinois. During our interview, Jack gives some insight into his narrative-driven approach to lyric writing, what it was like collaborating with Eva B. Ross on one of the record's standout tracks, Wait, the process of recording Tompkins Park early in quarantine, why the record includes a full band version of the song Why, Why Not, and an acoustic version, and much more. Jack also picked some awesome records from our record collection, including some recent personal favorites of mine from Cutworms and Kate Bollinger. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right. Welcome to Look at My Records. I'm here with Jack Symes. Hello. Howdy. His new record... Tompkins Park is out now. Congratulations on the release. How's everything going with you? Hey, Tom. Uh, great. Yeah, super exciting. You know, this was a this was an album made unexpectedly, kind of induced by the pandemic. So it feels good to finally be releasing it. Just, I hate sitting on music. It's uncomfortable. Common thing that's been happening a lot over the course of the last year with bands, artists, and musicians sitting on records. So it's good that we're kind of rolling along and people are starting to release great stuff. So you wrote it and recorded it basically at the start of the pandemic. What what was that like? Did you realize what was upon you? A lot of inside time and time to yourself. So you thought, I need to make the best of this and... I'm going to write this record. Yeah, a version of that. Essentially, I the, most of those songs had been written already and we'd actually the band and I had been playing them for about a year on tour, a handful of them. And I was in LA for a short run of shows we were playing in LA and San Francisco. And the morning of the LA show was when 
everything stopped March uh, 13th, maybe 12th. I don't know. Something in that time. So I was with my band when we saw the governor's governor Newsom's tweet saying nothing over 10, 15 people or something. So we were like, okay, well, damn. So we were all together. We'd all been in a very confined non-ventilated space rehearsing for about a week for those shows so we were like all right screw it i mean we've all been together now pretty much just us for the last week we've all been exposed to each other let's just get in the studio right now we had a studio um at the house that we'd been rehearsing at my bassist and drummer's house um so then we spent the next two months just like that peak fear of the pandemic time tracking the whole album what was it like to be thrown into something like that then? Did you feel like the songs were ready to be recorded? Or if, I mean, it's kind of hard to envision an alternate reality when you didn't feel like you had to go into the studio and do that. But if this didn't happen, do you think you would have waited a little longer or much longer? I think we definitely would have waited. But I think as a result of the situation and just one having no other um responsibilities um nowhere to be and also having there be a group of people that all felt that same way kind of lent itself to a very discovery oriented recording process which was new for me to be like in a room with several people and just bouncing ideas like we were all a lot of the time it felt like we were producing the album together. And yeah, I think that that setting definitely played a role in how some of these songs turned out and also are the reason like why we have Why, Why Not, the full band version and the acoustic version. Because we were like, well, script. We wrote that uh, that band arrangement for the those shows because they were prom themed. So we were like, let's kind of get like a prom, old school prom style Motown tune. And we, we retracted. We were like, I mean, it's kind of sick. <laughs> let's just put it on. <laughs> let's put it on the album. It's pretty fun, um, and it rocks. So we were like, "Cool, let's do that." And I that song had always been an acoustic song for me. I wrote that song like sophomore year of college or something. So it was fun to just kind of explore that that arrangement. That's really interesting. So you wrote that song years ago. Now, why'd you decide to revisit it? Was it specifically because you thought? that you could flesh it out like that in that specific style? I, no, I don't know what it was, honestly. Right after I released my first album, Songs for Moms, I got right back in that studio that we'd done that in, which is called Spartan Studio, up in, or Spartan Recording, in Carpinteria, California. I went up there with my buddy Joe, who is the engineer, and just tracked like seven or eight demos of songs that I had been kind of like working on starting from the time we finished recording Songs for Moms. Um, so that was like uh, the story of Jim Jones, Good Morning New York City, Why Why Not was one that is like, you know what, I've been, I've had the song forever and I think it's actually a pretty song. So let's just like, let's just lay it down. We got the mic set up and What a Wonderful Party was also recorded then on a very drunken whim at the end of the night. And then I just ended up having those demo recordings to listen to a bunch. Those are like the only demo recordings I had for months. So I listened to them and eventually I was like, you know what? I kind of like all these songs and showed them to the band. They're like, sweet. 
and they, yeah i feel like i really love my band because they don't really i don't think any of them have been like this song is not a good fit for uh or like i don't think we should do this song in the set they're just like yeah sounds good and they just love playing songs in general <laughs> so very it's, it's good awesome sounding easygoing backing band that's pretty rad yeah definitely but that recording experience sounds so unique and probably something that could never really happen again unless there's another <laughs> pandemic which i guess is totally possible but to record a record over the course of two months with the same people that you're living with how do you think specifically that uh shaped the sound of the record those circumstances yeah i'm thinking like you know it's funny i think about i was very fortunate in the fact that i was home when that happened yeah. i so i didn't have many expenses i was paying rent back in new york but i wasn't in new york i was collecting the unemployment because not being able to play shows and ev that was obviously com totally derailed and my part-time job was also derailed. So because of that, we kind of added in a couple new toys. Like we got a Korg mini log, which is just like a polyphonic synthesizer. And I'd never screwed around with anything like that. We got a couple fun, interesting pedals that none, none, none of us had any experience with, but we were like, this shit looks kind of tight. Like, let's just get it. We kind of have this cash right now and like, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> and so because of that, we ended up putting a lot of um, synth on the record. It's, it's mostly just pads, just like big chords, yeah. kind of like ambient stuff because I don't really know what I'm doing with that thing. In terms of like sequencing and actually shaping sound, like I have no idea what I'm doing. But I don't know, that that kind of enter or that sonic addition ended up kind of all over the record, which I think helped unify a lot of it. Then otherwise, in terms of the sound, we really, I think, we ended up tracking so many parts for all the songs. And then Keenan, my producer and drummer, uh, and I would just stay in the studio late every night till like two or three and just go through and be like, mute, mute, mute that, mute that, mute that. Okay, sick, so okay, this is nice. This is starting to sound like how it's supposed to sound. Because it was that same idea. We finished tracking a part, it'd be like, let's do another one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like, it's like unlimited it's time, no constraints type of thing. It sounds really uh, great creative. A uh, very fruitful creative experience for sure. Yeah, it was it was it was great. I hope to. Uh, it's interesting. I honestly haven't really thought about the how how the next recording process will be because people will have places to be, things yeah. to do. Again, It'll be eventually, totally different. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool. You touched on some of the, I guess the sonic differences or some of the things you did differently with synth pads and things like that on this record. I was curious also comparing this record to songs for moms and listening to that record. Some of the songs seem to reflect on earlier life experiences that you had. And a lot of the songs on this record, while, you know, before we got on the mic, I mentioned story of Jim Jones and a couple other tracks aren't autobiographical, but a lot of them also do seem to be, about your experiences that are more recent, more of the the here and now. So I was just curious as far as how you would compare writing this record 
to uh, Songs for Moms? Yeah, Songs for Moms was, I feel like I never actually like wrote anything for that. That was like, okay, we're gonna record an album and I'm sitting on maybe like 30, 35 songs that I've written in my entire life. And then going through those and finding the ones that uh, are worthy of being shared, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, and then through that, actually, I didn't really see the through line of Songs for Moms until afterwards. Um, and it did seem just like a collection of, yeah, a lot of autobiographical stuff, a lot of like lessons maybe learned along the way of growing up, how I did. And yeah, Tompkins Park, I remember having a conversation or my my girlfriend asked me, I think somewhat early on uh, into our relationship, she was like, do you have any songs where you sing about yourself? And I was like, uh, yeah, it's like most of my songs, I feel like. She's like, well, most of your songs, you're a, you play a part in them, but like, do you have any songs that are like only about you? I was like, I felt very targeted, <laughs> like, <laughs> like tr- triggered by that question. Was like, shut up, stop. That's that's terrifying. Why would I do that? Um, I got super defensive and then reflected on it at another time. It's like, damn, I guess I kind of don't actually. All of my kind of autobiographical songs maybe talk about my experience as a result of other things happening around me and not so much focused on um, my internal experience um, and processes. So this album, most of these songs were written um, while living in New York right after I moved here. And I was in a new relationship and in a new city, probably like, you know, one of the most intimidating cities to move to just because it's so big and so happening and there's just so overwhelming. So that seemed to be kind of a through line. I realized that I was writing a bunch of songs along that had to deal with kind of like maybe insecurities or new anxieties or just like this kind of tug of war between like being on your own or feeling very alone kind of thing that was, I guess that would be the main difference this one yeah. this one felt a little more uniform in terms of the actual writing process for songs for moms was like after the fact it was like oh whoa shit I guess I haven't really taken the time to think about these songs as a group yeah New York definitely plays a big role on this record and I definitely want to get into that more specifically on a couple of the different tracks but I was curious about what brought you to New York and what was the transition like for you? I know you are from Los Angeles originally. You went to school in the Bay Area. So you've primarily uh, lived and written songs on the West Coast. Yeah, I, I was out here. I was living in, in Pasadena where I grew up. And I came out to New York to play some shows for a second time doing that, I think. And I had just like one of those kind of storybook like movie feels like movie worthy experiences in New York for a weekend. Um, where it's just like New York has seems to have a way where if you put out a good energy, like the be- your best energy, New York will take that and just like amplify it up to like 10 degrees. And in the same way, if you go out with a negative energy, it's going to just absolutely ruin your life in a day. Um, so it was one of those good ones. Um, and I met a girl that weekend also that played a large part in it. And eventually, 
three months later, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to move to New York, I guess. <laughs> and uh, drove drove from L.A., did a played a bunch of house shows on the way out there. And yeah, the transition was super difficult, to be perfectly frank. I, I, and that's also, I, I was moving here with three of my best friends living here. They're awesome girl that I just started dating my sisters out here and it's still super challenging time just to get your footing in a new city I feel for I have a couple friends who have moved to new cities during the pandemic like accidentally like they moved March 5th and it's like oh yeah it's devastating yeah. god damn that sucks um so I feel I feel for feel for all those or anyone who kind of struck has had a hard time with that but you know it's uh it's been cool to be able to be kind of bi-coastal and also be able to visit more cities on the East Coast. And we got to play in Boston and D.C. Uh, with the band and uh, Rhode Island, Providence, uh, Philly, which is super cool. And you can only that's something unique to New York rather than L.A. L.A., if you want to go on tour, it's like you're going to be driving a shit ton. because <laughs> Like the cities are just not close to each other. Yeah. Um East Coast is a little more convenient. Was this something you ever envisioned yourself doing, moving to New York before that weekend uh, you spoke of? I no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so. I've only, I'd only been two or three times before I moved here. One was in high school. The other one was that weekend. And the other one was visiting a friend for like two days. But like, yeah, no, 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 it was a... Uh, Surprise to me, definitely. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I think I was just at a time in my life where I was like, uh, screw it. Let's just yeah. do it. Let's just like see how it goes. If it goes badly, I'll drive home. <laughs> and you do talk about how challenging it was for you on the record. Right off the bat, basically, Tompkins Park. I love that song because I think it paints this really good picture of how alone you can feel in New York, despite the fact that there's so many people and it's such a massive city. You know, you get into you sitting in a bar by yourself with your phone dead and you only have a, a pen and a piece of paper. You know, you could really just like picture it. I feel like I've been there myself as well. Totally. Uh, what What inspired that track? And was it something that you wrote in the moment after that happened? Or did you reflect back on it much later, that experience? You're not even going to throw the option C of just something completely made up. Or did you make it? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed I too was, real to me. I know, right? Like that's. I think that's a fun... I love getting tricked by songwriters in that way. It's like, <laughs> damn, that wasn't real? How'd they do that? How'd they come up with that? Uh, that was real. Oh, good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was... Um, my... Uh, my girlfriend had a job at the time that she would get off around like six or seven or maybe eight sometimes. And I was just kind of floating. It was after that, that yeah. run of house shows. I was like, you know what? I got enough cash. I can just kind of like hang out and float around the city and whatever. And it was much more romantic in my head. It ended up being just much more anxiety inducing, not doing anything all day. But so there's one afternoon where I was walking through the park and through Tompkins Square Park. She lived right on it on 7th. And I was like, I'm going to go to 7B. That's the bar right there. I texted her. I was like, hey, I'm at 7B. Like, just stop through when you're walking home. And then my phone died. And I grabbed a napkin 
from the bar. It's a, a horseshoe bar, and the bartenders there are just like so rude. But we still go there all the time, and it's it's a great time. <laughs> it's like one of those overpriced dive bars. It's like I don't. Why are we paying for this experience? Yeah. But we are, and it is what it is. And uh, yeah, I grabbed a napkin because I didn't <laughs> I didn't have like anything with me. I grabbed a napkin. I asked the bartender if I could borrow a pen, and just started writing that song. And I, you know, I've actually, I know I have that napkin somewhere. I just don't, I don't know where it is. And I, I later, I think I later dug into the, um, the second verse. I don't remember where I was when I wrote that. What about that experience, uh, triggered you to think I need to like capture this and this is a song moment. What were you feeling? What was your mindset? I think I was, I mean, I had a habit of doing this when I was in a, I took a semester off of college and uh, traveled in South America for a bit. And I didn't uh, like just worked different jobs and whatever for three or four months. And I didn't get an international plan for my phone. So I didn't have any data. So I, my phone was, and, and I didn't download the maps. It was no good for anything. Um, and I had a camera with me. So I didn't have my phone most of the time. So when I would go to bars or restaurants or find myself somewhere, I was by myself most of the time. And I didn't have my notebook wow. or uh, a book. I would just got in the habit of being like, hey, can I borrow a pen? And write on napkins and just kind of collect those as uh, little mementos. So I don't think anything in that moment was kind of begging to be written about. <laughs> there, was, yeah, yeah. there was almost nothing to write about, it seemed. Um, but I'm glad I did. Yeah, it's just like, it's a fun fun question of like what made you think you should write about this it's like uh, every morning i try uh, almost every morning i try to write a page or two of whatever and feel like every entry starts with just uh it's 8 45 i'm sitting here this it's it's i bet you the first three sentences of the last like 40 pages of my notebook sound almost identical interesting cool yeah it's a great song and i had a feeling it was written part of it at least in real time but i could picture the park everything like that so that's yeah. cool thanks man it's cool it's a cool listen right on uh your lyrical style big emphasis on storytelling and narrative i feel like all of the songs on this record whether or not it's specific events to you they, they really do a good job bringing to life specific events and things like that moments in time how do you usually approach lyric writing and what do you think uh attracted you to write your lyrics in kind of a narrative style that's not super abstract and more kind of more straightforward and storytelling in nature yeah i don't know i i don't know what influenced that per se um but i definitely I, I really enjoy writing in kind of like snapshots, like you said, in moments of time and just a little, just thinking about details. I like details and kind of helping create a little like window into a scene. And yeah, I, honestly, like when it comes to process, when it comes to how to get started on a scene, how do you find a scene? How do you, whatever? It's just, it's so obscure and inconsistent. That I don't, I wouldn't even know where to start with with process, uh, because I feel like every song is different. Like the Jim Jones song, for example, that's just straight up biographical, and that was 
I had a, a note sections on my phone that was just like five scrolls worth of takeaways of just like interesting examples or anecdotes from this maybe like seven hour long Jim Jones podcast series I listened to. Wow. Yeah. And I just like, I was just like, oh, that's a cool detail. That detail kind of says something more than what is actually what I'm actually saying, I guess. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I wish I had a process. Probably more productive. <laughs> Since you mentioned Jim Jones, I'd love to get into that song a little more. Uh, specifically, two questions, and I'll start with the first one. What, what drew you to him? I know I was going to ask what if you did any research or things like that. It sounds like you listened to a very extensive podcast. But what, what drew you to him and made you want to write a, a song about him? I was... Uh... I was recording songs for moms uh, at a studio in Carpinteria, which is about two hours from where I was living in Pasadena. So I would go up for like three days at a time and we'd just sleep in the studio. And I went up. So essentially I would go up there, we'd track for three days, make print some mixes or some just like really rough mixes. I would have those to listen to on the drive home. Like what would we just work on? And I would listen to it. I'd be like, wow, sound, okay, nice. It's coming together. Sounds really tight. And then I'd start listening to music I enjoyed listening to and immediately just go to the worst place. Be like, oh my God, this shit sucks. Like, this is so bad what we're doing. I can't listen to this anymore. So I made the decision to start listening to podcasts and came upon like a five or six part series on Jim Jones. And for some reason I was just like, this is great. This is, it was so just crazy. That whole story is so bananas. It was like, I think I just got to write it. I got to start taking notes. Uh, and that was the only song I wrote during the production process of songs for moms that didn't go on the record. Interesting. And in listening to the song and then also doing a little more research about him. And I think you, you really hone in on this on the track, which is basically all I knew about him really was that, you know, he's the leader of the 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 Jonestown massacre and cult. But then I was reading that, you know, he was also really involved in uh, integration and desegregation uh, related things before that. So what, what I thought was cool, it kind of remi reminded me of the Suvian Stevens song, John Wayne Gacy, totally, yeah. um, where he's, he's kind of, and, and you do the same thing, kind of, you know, bringing out the complex humanity of this person who did something so terrible and was a cult leader and, you know, led this mass suicide. But there's also this past to him before that. And before that, he was a... Uh, you know, he's a human being that was in, involved in a lot of different things that we'd probably look at as good and positive. So it kind of, I think, dives into that complexity of humanity. Totally. Yeah, I think the... Um, I didn't really know what I was writing about, honestly. I think when I was writing that song, I was like, well, I don't... I'm definitely not trying to immortalize this guy or to yeah. uh, romanticize him. He's no doubt an awful corrupt terrible existence on earth at the end of the day but there is no question the arc um because he did start yeah. out with with good intentions and that's where 
the very last line of the song. That was one of the songs that I didn't really know what I was writing until I wrote the very last line, um, which was, I think I love him for opening my eyes to the power of the villain we hold inside, which was like, this guy wasn't planning on this shit. He wasn't planning on making whatever happened happen and and being this great villain. He had like good intentions at the beginning and life happens and just keep an eye on it. Just got to keep an eye on whatever darkness is maybe growing, however big or small, you know? Yeah, totally. Really gripping song. Really cool. Uh, what you do with that track. I, I think probably my favorite song on the record. <laughs> oh, sure. That's amazing. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a good track. Wait. One of the singles from the record builds off this metaphor of trying to capture running water, comparing it to the nature of relationships, romantic relationships. How'd you decide to compare those two things? Why'd you kind of tie that metaphor to the nature of a relationship? Yeah. Uh, I had a, I don't know how I found the book. I don't know if someone, oh, yeah, okay. My buddy was seeing someone and she gave him this book to read, but I read it before he did because I was staying on his couch and I was like, what is this? And uh, it was a book called The Wisdom of Insecurity, The Age of Anxiety by Alan Watts. And it was one of those books that is like, wow. Uh, I mean, that that period of my life, that, that phase of my life was kind of defined and like guided through by this book and there's an anecdote in there where he talks about the futility of of trying to like control i think it is more so what he talks about um and it's like trying to determine your fate or to decide what's going to happen to you and and control whatever is looming is as futile as trying to catch to capture running water in a bucket for when you dip the bucket in running water it's no longer running water. And it I read that at a time when I felt very con- void of control, I guess, in in living in a new place, not having my spots. I didn't have my own place either. I was staying on a buddy's couch and with my very new girlfriend, which was a, a risky risky call, but it worked out. We're st- we're still <laughs> we're still together, so it's all good. That's great. Um, yeah. But there were some tense moments for sure. So I mean, it was this, yeah, it, it was just kind of talking about, I guess, how uncomfortable I am with not having control over things that may impact me in a way. And the metaphor definitely helped me realize that and take certain steps to be more comfortable in the unknown and the, yeah, just things out of my out of my reach things that have happened, things that will happen. Um, Yeah, it was a life. It was like, it was, I think I read the book like three times in a row because I was just like, shit, man. Whoa. And that song really came out of nowhere. Also, that was, I had a recording session that I wasn't really totally sure why I was paying for a recording session, but I wanted to meet this dude, Gabe, and he's a buddy of mine now, but we, I went in, I was like, I have, I have no idea what I'm going to record. And I ended up writing that song like two hours before the session. And we tracked a demo. And I was like, oh, nice. This, this is cool. Awesome. 
What about, uh, how'd you wind up collaborating with Eva B. Ross on the track? I know she sings on it. What was it like working with her on that song and what do you think she was able to bring to it? Eva uh, and I have been friends for a bit now, met in the LA, just I think played a show together um, at Tem Scott's residency at the bootleg in LA. And then, so I think seven or eight of these songs were recorded during the pandemic and four of them were recorded before in the October or November leading up and like we did like four days of sessions at the studio in Highland Park my buddy's my band's house and that's where we recorded prom song baby my baby and wait and so I had texted Eva and yeah it was just like do you want to come over and sing on this like love your voice like obviously so she came through, sang on them, and it was also because we were about to go on tour together in January. Our two bands were going to go. We played a bunch of runs on or a bunch of shows on the East Coast, and yeah, she's just the best, especially her tone, I think, and emotion that she has when, especially when she sits into that like very breathy. We were kind of talking about her part in that song in particular being like a whisper, where it's like let's track yeah. like five of them too, and let's see what kind of textures we can get with that um yeah i love her she's so good and just like just such a beautiful voice yeah her voice is great on that yeah. track for sure she's actually she's on a bunch of the songs on the record too uh, which uh, which other tracks are, is she on she's on baby my baby she's on uh wait oh, she's on one more that i'm trying she might be on illinois like super far back in the mix and i guess that's it actually yeah that sounds right that sounds right so illinois i liked it because there's these songs on the record where you can tell and you can hear that you're having a rough go at it in new york <laughs> and then illinois is basically a song about wanting to escape that essentially and I thought it was also really cool because Tompkins Park gets into kind of the worst time to be in New York, especially being that you're from the West Coast, the middle of winter where it's fucking freezing and miserable here. <laughs> and then in Illinois, you also talk about how pretty it is in the spring. I feel like it was a really cool contrast with the, the harsh winter of New York in Tompkins Park. What do you think about when you reflect on your early days in New York City and was Illinois written while you were in New York kind of longing to to escape sort of? It was uh so I I wrote Illinois after uh oh I met up with my now girlfriend after we'd met in New York. We were like I proposed the option of meeting up in Chicago for a weekend. Uh, just kind of, not really the middle of LA and New York, but financially made, they were like the cheapest place to go. And so that was the second time we hung out and had an amazing time. And that was one of the, one of the contributing factors to moving to New York. It's like, okay, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think I'll do it. Um, so I think I wrote that song like maybe on my flight home from Chicago. I'm not totally sure. Probably find that in my notebooks or 
something, but it was funny. Uh, I played that song for a buddy of mine and I was like, I can't figure out like what the chorus should be or like what the, what I think this is the chorus maybe like, I can't figure out any other melodies or like, I got nothing. And him and his sister were both just like, sounds pretty done to me. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Sweet. Never mind then. That's all I needed. I guess I'm not going to try and write anything more on this. And then it was weird. It's weird having a song just like all of a sudden exist where it wasn't like done, finished. This is awesome. It's just like, oh, wait, I thought this was incomplete, but apparently it works. Uh, yeah, I don't think I, I feel like I wrote that one just before I moved to New York, but I might have like finished, finished it. Uh, it's a pretty simple song, pretty repetitive. We got some cool sounds out of the micro cork on that one. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't have don't have too many. Yeah, I don't think about New York at all with that song. I think about Chicago. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that feeling of, of not being there. Which, which makes sense because it sounds like you wrote it before you moved. I think so. And I was kind of listening to it in the context of the other songs. I actually had a note here about Baby My Baby. And in that song, you're like, New York, the city isn't my friend. And then Illinois is kind of this longing to escape right after it. So I felt like that was a cool sequence. Yeah, that's cool. I had not thought about that in the slightest. Yeah, I think Baby My Baby, I remember uh, being introduced to this songwriting tool idea um, in high school. I did a workshop at Berkeley School of Music one summer um, and we analyzed some song that the it kept talking about the city. I think it was Chicago. It kept talking about Chicago. I remember listening to the song and be like, wow, that's a beautiful song. And then afterwards, the teacher was like analyzing it and we were kind of just like asking a lot of questions and whatnot. And uh, she was saying how like, this isn't a love song about Chicago. This is uh, like this, maybe this is a, a tool to hide someone's name and creates this character that Chicago stands for a person that this writer was with in Chicago or is from Chicago or now lives in Chicago, whatever it is, um, which was fun. It's a cool little smoke screen. Um, and I think some of that plays into uh, Baby My Baby, too. Another uh, song I really like, What a Wonderful Party, which I think stands out from the other tracks because I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a mostly fictional narrative. But correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and so then I was I was curious about how you approach writing uh, fictional lyrics versus a lot of the songs on the record that are based on your own experiences. Yeah, that song, it's, I guess, fictional. It's very inspired by uh, just a, a range of events that I had been uh, a part of or invited to that I attended. Uh, but it was kind of born out of this. I got in a lot of trouble the other day for saying, telling this anecdote or story during a live stream show. So I'm going to watch my words carefully, <laughs> but essentially what the deal was, is my sister got engaged in December, 2018 and her wedding was going to be a year later, December, I think 12th, December, uh, 20. 
19. So this is a period when I was living at home with my parents and it was their first kid having a wedding and their daughter, their oldest daughter. And because of that, it was just kind of the only thing I heard about living in that house for an entire year. And uh, I was just so fucking over talking about these details. It was it was an amazing wedding and I love my sister's husband so much. <laughs> um, I think I got in trouble because my sister said like, oh, like what you didn't like our wedding is like, that's not what I said at all. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? That's, that is insane. Um, but no, I, I, so I ended up, I dog sat for uh, my buddy and just like that, I got, I was only there one night and apparently that was all the space I needed away from the house. And <laughs> I ended up writing, writing that whole song then out of just a uh, uh, frustration or just, I don't know, not frustration. It was just kind of, it's like, I don't need to be hearing about this all the time. I'm really excited for the wedding. But yeah, and then for the production of it, we kind of wanted to lean into maybe a little Sergeant Pepper vibey. Um, yeah, it's got that vibe for yeah, sure. Kind of wanted this like cheesy-ish, tasteful cheese. And then also to have the energy kind of transition in a way to feel like one of these parties that we're talking about, just full of kind of introductions and then having fun, the band's playing, short little glimpses of beautiful shit. And then the very end, everyone's too messed up and is, is crawling home, stumbling over themselves. And yeah, we kind of wanted to feel like an episode, like a TV episode, I think. Yeah, it has that vibe. Yeah. Plus the, the cool little like spoken tidbits to you at the end towards the end you know thank you for coming mm-hmm. definitely gave it that episodic episode vibe oh, yeah nice man yeah and if you uh if you're listening to that song on headphones loud ish on that last part that's kind of like the, there's the doctor there's his wife when it's all the, the gossip section um you yeah. can hear a bunch of chitter chattering and cheers glasses cheersing and stuff and that was me and uh, my bassist Greg must have done like twelve tracks or something. Just, <laughs> just like occasionally, like clacking <laughs> shit. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just like stupid, stupid ambient sounds like that. Uh, it's so fun. That must have been fun. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was so it was stupid, but a lot of fun. So. The acoustic version of Why Why Not is the last track, but Good Morning New York City to me feels like the the last track. And it kind of a love letter of new to New York City, it seems like, from perspective of a newcomer and how it can kind of knock you on your feet a little bit, but that it's still a magical place, which I thought was a cool way to end the album because, you know, Tompkins Park baby my baby a couple of different points you're kind of talking about the rougher more anxiety inducing aspects of living here and your early experiences but then it kind of comes full circle and things are good and they end on a a more positive note what'd you write that song about specifically and was that intentional to kind of end the record like that (laughs) No, but man, you're you're just kind of shedding some light on some cool, <laughs> some cool <laughs> takeaways. I wish I thought about it like that. 
That's awesome. You know, that song was also probably... So I wrote that song after meeting my girlfriend here in New York. Um, yeah. And that one is actually way more on the nose in terms of um, similarity to that Chicago um, uh, kind of personification that I was talking about before. Yes. Um, yeah, totally. And I could hear that. You, you really make the city out to be this like living organism type of thing. Yeah, so, you know, you know I, I mean, at least how I, my intention writing the song, which in no way sh- should determine how it's uh, interpreted, I think. Um, yeah. But my interpretation, at least, is uh, the song's not even about New York City. It's about this this person named New York City, essentially. Um, oh, wow. And... That's yeah. It, it I've kind of wrote the song from a distance. Um, first, yeah, it's three verses. It's not really a chorus. It's kind of more of just a melodic instrumental chorus. Um, but yeah, it was about this kind of desire to to want to be there. Really bad, and kind of like I call myself a tourist there at one point, and like you get knocked out by the city. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested uh, with that little take or with that perspective of mine. I'm interested to see uh, how you experience the song the next time you listen to it. Totally. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to it. I'll report back, <laughs> dude, and let you know. Uh, before we move on to the next part, I thought it was cool that I saw you, you hosted a songwriting workshop in February through School of Song. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious, have you ever written songs like that before? And what was that experience like for you? Because I've heard of songwriters doing these kind of group songwriting exercises. So I was wondering if that's something you typically do and and what what it was like. Uh, Yeah, so this was much more so kind of independent study. It's not... uh, Oh, okay. It wasn't really like a co-writing workshop. Um, So essentially the structure... Uh, it was a it's an online music school everyone listening to this right now should check it out it's called school of song uh it's led by my two buddies uh blue sheffer and steven van betten uh who's in a kick-ass band called um fell runner um and they i took steven's workshop just as a participant and he asked me to lead the next one and the whole structure is um the first half of class is just kind of a listening party. So you get split up into smaller groups and you listen to your other yeah, peers' yeah. songs that they wrote for this class. Then everyone just gets super hyped on them. And then you go into the big group and some kind of guided exercise or like, cool, we're gonna listen to one of my songs now. Um, and I'm gonna talk about like my writing process for this particular song. Um, maybe the production process, if that's helpful. Um, and there's a website that if you take the class, you're just like, I go on, I'm right now I'm in uh, Buck Meek is leading one through the school. Oh, wow, so I'm, that's I'm amazing. Taking, taking bucks right now. And, uh, Molly Sarley uh, taught one last earlier this month, which was so fun. Um, and it's been great. It's the prompts that are the homework assignments are, are more so just creative exercises. So, you know, some of them, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I would like release any of these songs that I've I've written, but there 
are definitely a few nuggets in there that it's like this is kind of, i think this is really cool actually and i only got here because i was given strict parameters yeah. and guiding principles which is it's a funny funny way to write like for example bucks prompt for this last class was to find a newspaper or a magazine and just cut out phrases and like tape them make a little collage like a ransom note basically and uh explore new phrasing new terms new just new ideas that are kind of forcing themselves at you, yeah that's you know? that's really cool because sometimes it just seems like in anything you have to be you get set in your ways and then you have to be maybe pushed to try something a little different and with that structure it's probably helpful to look at things a little differently approach things differently as well definitely yeah and i, I think this has been a, a really big year for education uh i think especially for musicians who haven't been able to perform and kind of get their fill there um so i mean i know like i've taken a bunch of classes and just like worked on my chops and it's been so fun to be able to through school of song to be able to do that alongside other great musicians that i'd call friends now which is like wow i don't know it seems it seems rare i'm very thankful for for the community and uh just being able to have some sort of musical community this last year it's been huge shout out school of song so yeah what's what's next have you written a, a batch of songs could you see yourself getting in the studio again to work on another full length this year or is that something a little further in the future you know i would love to i think i think it's definitely in the realm of possibility later this year um i i ha kind of have had a a creative block up or just some kind of uh yeah some kind of block just knowing that this release is is has been uh pending so i'm feeling i'm feeling like it's very close on the horizon of ready to just like just to dial it in and get pumping out some some new full songs i have a, a lot i mean just hundreds of voice memos from these last like six months of just 30 second clips just got to go through all those find the stars find the find the babies there but yeah i hope i hope later this year i've got got a handful of projects that i've been debating pulling off very very cool all right now we're gonna play some songs from jack's brand new record tompkins park we're gonna hear two tracks that we talked about the first track and the title track tompkins park and then we're gonna hear the story of jim jones was stranded at Tompkins Park I was wasted I locked my keys in the car so I stepped in to the corner bar I've never been there 
so alone before But here I am With the borrowed pen I think I'll keep it I take a dollar when I can I feel so useless Cell phones dead Maybe I'll stay here And make this booth my bed can't keep my shadow in front of me How do I drown this fear that defines me Pass me a note Signed with an X and O And a big old arrow Pointing to the exit door Toys. 
sidewalk preacher at ten years old, telling all the black folk we're all equal. And boy, they loved him for his open heart. No one expected the boy was evil. Mr. Jimmy Jones The man you heard of but do not know The preacher man, the masochist Or the truly troubled soul Out to fix the whole world on his own California, a bus-filled caravan, salvation around the corner, yeah, the promised land. Just do as you're told, whatever Father Jim says, or he'll beat you silly, yeah, he'll beat you cold. Ladies and the fellas too, thick or thin and black or gold. But don't you cross the father, or he'll strip you down and stand you naked by the altar for the whole damn town. Faces. 
Mr. Jimmy Jones The man you heard of but do not know All right, we're back. We just heard two songs from Jack's brand new record, Tompkins Park. We heard the title track, and then we heard the story of Jim Jones. And I know you're all going to want to grab a copy on vinyl, and you can do that at Jack Symes. That's J-A-C-K-S-Y-M-E-S dot bandcamp dot com. All right, now Jack picked some records from our record collection. We're going to talk about them. Jack, what's up first? First song was Charlie Don't Surf by The Clash off Sandinista. Um, And full honesty, I don't know the full record Sandinista all that well. Um, I, (laughs) I do know Charlie Don't Surf. Because our, my buddy showed it to me in college. And we're like, this song kicks yeah. ass. And then I saw Apocalypse Now later, the movie that the saying is from. Um, when they're like storming that that beachside base and uh, the sergeant or the commanding officer brings the American kid who's the surfer. He's like, you better surf that break because Charlie don't surf. It's like, <laughs> so ridiculous. I can't. I mean, that has to be where the Clash got this line. Um, it has to be. Yeah, I think so, too. I think 100%. Making, I think Charlie don't surf was a was a, a known line from that movie, but I don't know because I, I didn't finish the movie. It was so long. I believe it. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be. <laughs> All right, next next tune. Next tune is Don't Want to Say Goodbye by Cutworms off Hollow Ground. Um, my buddy Greg showed me Cutworms. I, I, you know, I, I know it's a one-man one project. I don't know the artist's actual name, but everything Cutworms, uh, this whole record, Hollow Ground, is so, so good and it it just like it reminds me it's it's one of the closest things that uh i've heard that's made today that's made that has been made recently uh of what of what i would imagine if uh john paul and george and ringo were my age or not my age i guess because when they were 27 they were making let it be and shit uh but if they were 16 again right now, they'd yeah. be that. It's, it's crazy. He, it's so good. He's great. Uh, his name's Max Clark. And it's so funny cool. that you picked yeah. this because I've been listening to the record he put out last year a lot. Nobody Lives Here Anymore. So many good songs on that record. And of course, so many good songs on Hollow Ground as well. This uh, Cutworm's one of my favorites right now. So, hey awesome selection dude this is a that last album he did there's 17 tracks that's a doozy it's a lot of tunes i'm pretty sure he he plays everything too yeah it's a lot of hard work 
I think. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Love the song. After Cutworms. We got uh, A Couple Things by Kate Bollinger. Very nice. Her, uh, EP. EP last year, I think, A Word Becomes a Sound. I chose this song because I actually met Kate um, at a house show type thing in New York when I was visiting that one weekend. Um, one of the nights was a, sh- was a house show, and she was one of the other artists on the bill. Um and she came up with their band. They're all so nice. Uh, and I didn't really know too many people there. So I came with a couple friends, but there's wonderful people. And she just has such a relaxing energy, vocals, just overall everything. And it was just a treat. She's her, her and her band were just a treat. And I've, I've loved all the songs that they've put out since, uh, since we hung out that night. Shout out to Kate Bollinger, great EP she released last year. After after that, after that is uh, a night at the Little Los Angeles by Kevin Morby off his new album Sundowner. Nice. Um, this was the single most inspiring album uh, that I listened to last year. This and uh, All Things Must Pass. But that wasn't made last year. That was <laughs> made, made like 19, 40, 50 years uh, ago. Yeah. 69 yeah. or something. Great record, uh, though. I love it. Yeah. And Sundowner, man, this, I mean, this album, Start to Finish, is just like perfect. Um, love it. And. I got this song on vinyl recently for for as a gift, and <clears throat> I didn't know that the Little Los Angeles was the name of uh, Kevin Morby's studio, uh, where he wrote the record and like his back house in somewhere in uh, Missouri. Um, is it Missouri? No, yeah, in Kansas, Kansas City. I, I think. think Kansas. So Missouri. Uh, or Kansas City, Kansas, because yeah. they're next to each other, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm not sure which side, but um, that was the name of his. He named his studio, which I thought was fun, and yeah, it's a super meditative song. It's just beautiful. He really nailed the just the tone and just the uniformity, I guess, or the I don't even know the word. Just like sonic motif of the whole album is just perfect. Love it. James and Jean are down in the valley. And both are just waking up. I had the same bad dream all over again. Well, you're okay now. Fifth one I did was Mother We Just Can't Get Enough. New Radicals, dude. Great song. (laughs) Hide my nipple, Paul. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Um, Yeah, I was scrolling the Discogs, and I was next to my roommate, and I saw the New Radicals record. I was like, 
I gotta do new radicals, right? <laughs> but then I opened the record, I was like, am I doing mother? We just can't get enough. You get what you give or someday we'll know. That whole album is so yeah, it's a good, good record. Man. And it's like it's it's funny, it's like one of those there's so many like nineties movies hits off that album where you could someone could hear it and be like oh dude this song is like so bullshit late 90s rock or like early 2000s pop rock but those people suck yeah. if anyone says that because this album is objectively timeless and so good it's why i appreciate this record i appreciated it from the second it came out definitely and i remember listening to it a lot when i was younger and even as i got older i would come back to it and start listening to it why i like it so much is because when i was a kid you know i listened to it and i think this sounds good and then as i got older you start listening to more music and i'm like oh yeah i really like todd rundgren oh you can see the connection that this guy was definitely really influenced by Todd Rundgren. Start getting into <coughs> Prince more and different artists like that. And you could say, oh, this guy's also really influenced by him. It's cool to see those connections establish as like I kind of expanded my musical palette with a record like that. He's just a really good, uh, real good pop sensibilities, uh, Greg Alexander on that record. Just really good pop songwriting yeah man I'll, I'll i will always love that album always And then the last song I chose uh, is My Lady's on Fire by uh, Ty Seagal and the Freedom Band off of uh, Drag City. Um, and yeah, this song just rocks. It's like, I don't know, pretty pretty close to like a perfect rock song in, in my opinion. Um, everything about it, I don't know. It's just so... It's, it's like an emotional experience for me to listen to. It's just full of catharsis in, in so many different ways. Now my lady's on fire All right, coming to the end of the podcast with my friend Jack Symes, his new album, Tompkins Park, is out now. Jack, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. It was awesome chatting with you about this great new record. Everyone, you can get yourself a copy of it at Jack Symes dot bandcamp.com that's j-a-c-k-s-y-m-e-s dot bandcamp.com jack 
Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, man. This is awesome. Uh, it's it's a gross day in New York right now. So if it's nice to this is this is exactly what I needed. This is exactly what I needed. Hell yeah! Pre- appreciate you organizing this and and uh, just sharing sharing love on the album means a oh, lot. Totally. Man. Everyone, get it. It's on vinyl. Jacksimes.bandcamp.com. We're gonna play one more song to send everyone off. Good morning, New York City.
Yes, I want you. It's mine, all mine. 